Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast, sponsored by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Today we're joined by Jerry Banstra, Senior Technical Service Support Specialist in the Forage Department at Vermeer. Jerry's going to talk to us about preseason maintenance and the importance of maintaining your equipment. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. So tell us a little bit about yourself. It kind of sounds like you might bleed yellow. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I grew up a couple miles south of the factory here, south of Pella, Iowa. I knew the Vermeer family very well, Gary and Matilda at that time. Gary's kids were a little older than I was, like about four years. But So I knew the family well, and I've, I've been with Vermeer for 30 years or so, maybe like 33 and that entire time, I was in the forage side of the business, or the baiters, rakes, mowers. Prior to Vermeer, my wife and I, we operated a dairy farm uh, with my folks and, and a brother. And so when I left there, you know, Vermeer was, a, was kind of a perfect fit for me. You know, I, I still was getting out on the acres, uh, still operating equipment and tractors. And, you know, most of the skills that I'd learned as far as repairing and working on equipment came from my you know, being raised on the farm. So at Vermeer, I worked my way through assembly and production. And then I was in engineering for a while. In 2006, I went into the service department, you know, working with our dealers and their customers, um, helping them get along in their business and answering and supporting their questions. It sounds like you've done just a little bit of everything and you have that strong farm background to know what's good engineering and what's not. (laughs) You might say that, yes. We want to dive into some preseason maintenance stuff today. It's getting to be that time of year where if you haven't been through the equipment, you really ought to have been. Give us an overview, the big picture on preseason maintenance, and maybe why it's extra important this year. Preseason maintenance is easier said than done. Everybody's busy. We've got Everyone's got more to do than what they can do, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But Vermeer has offered a program, and we call it postseason maintenance. Preseason or postseason, you know, I think the reason for that is postseason is after the season's done, let's get the equipment cleaned up. Let's start talking about preseason already at postseason. And, and that program utilizes check sheets. So the dealer follows a check sheet going through the, the operator or the customer's equipment. We pay the dealer to do that. The goal of that program is to open up the communication again between the dealer and the producer and and get that maintenance done sooner as later, you might say. Now, we in our department, we talk about the two R's. And, and what I mean by that is when you put your equipment away last fall and it worked fine and you get it out in the spring and it doesn't work, well, we go, oh, you have the two R's. You have rust or rodents, and, and you don't want that. So, you know, later in the podcast, we may talk about the importance of keeping equipment clean. But so we we stress clean your machines off daily mm-hmm. and for sure after the season with compressed air. We don't talk much about using uh, high-pressure washers or things like that. Mm-hmm. You certainly could, but that brings on some other issues. You know, and when you're working with that dealer, you need to decide what work you can do or 
what the work you want the dealer to perform. Everybody has different skills, different places to work and, and uh, shops and things like that. So, and I also might add here that the first item on our check sheets is to make sure that all safety shields are in place. So we stress safety here at Vermeer and, and we want our consumers and, and customers to be safe. I want to back up to your compressed air comment. Getting a leaf blower, just a even a handheld, but I, I have a couple of handheld leaf blowers and a backpack leaf blower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and then I know there's folks that have big portable air compressors that work even better yet, but that made me a way better farmer. <laughs> and, and we make it a practice yeah. to clean everything off at night and do an inspection. So if we find something that's broken, we have a little time to, to uh, send somebody to town after parts in the morning. Yeah, I would say our dirtiest machine is probably the self-propelled baiter in corn stalks. Mm-hmm. And so what we found works the best for us is get that that six-foot aluminum air gun so that you can stand back a ways. Mm. You know, we always, well, which way is the wind blowing from? Yeah, a long nozzle. But, but even then, it, it's still important to keep that dirt and stuff out of there. What happens at night is when the machine is warm, as it cools off, it's going to draw moisture. Sure. And and that's just what all equipment does. Even more gearboxes, you know, will draw moisture at night when you park them after the, when the gearboxes cool off. And they have vents. Yeah. So moisture can get in, into them. I started to ask you why preseason maintenance is so important. Well, it, it's it's always been important because we don't want those surprises in season. We, we want, you know, when we start, we want to finish. So that that's number one is, you know, just be ready for the season so that there's no surprises. The other thing in this day and age, I think this current economic climate that we're in uh, is driving us to be more prepared than we used to be. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you don't want to have a breakdown in season and then find out that you can't get that bearing for a week or 10 days. Or the shipping to get it sent to you overnight is more than the, the cost of the part itself. Mm-hmm. And so just being prepared, getting that out of the way, making sure that you're prepared uh, just eliminates a lot of frustration. The other thing is labor can also be hard to find. So now if you're broke down and, oh, I need to bring it to the dealership to be repaired, well, we'll get to you when we can. And then you're renting equipment, you're calling a neighbor to see if he'll help you and those kinds of things. So there's just a lot of lot of benefits to being uh, prepared and, and getting that maintenance out of the way as soon as you can. How does that preparation keep your equipment running in the long term? All machines or most machines need what I call some broken adjustments or in other words. <laughs> Taking the slop out. <laughs> When you get it, it's brand new, and, and a lot of customers trade machines because they want to start with something that's brand new. Mm-hmm. So after you have a machine that's been running for a year, the machine changes. You know, it, it goes from being brand new to being used, mm-hmm. dirty, and maybe a little bit worn. You know, and what I mean by that is, you know, the teeth might take a set back a little bit from the where they were adjusted at when it was new. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gearbox oil needs to be changed. The the chains get looser. The belts need to be tracked mm-hmm. as they break in. Adjusting the tw- the twine and the net wrap 
attachments can sometimes be important too after that first season. And even beyond round balers, thinking about small square balers, the knotters always need some something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's very rare that you put a baler away that's working perfectly and it comes out of the shop <laughs> running perfectly. Whether it's round or small square or big square, it doesn't matter much. There's, there's something that needs set and fine-tuned. Yeah. You know, even like our net wrap on a round baiter slides down what we call the feed pan under the tailgate. Yep. Well, even as it sets over winter, it can get a little bit of rust on it. And then that first bale, you know, it may not start the net right away. And it it doesn't take long to polish it up. But just being aware of those things, what can happen and addressing them uh, goes a long ways. And what's the biggest benefit you see for operators who prioritize that maintenance? Well, the, the biggest thing that we see in our department when, when people or our dealers or customers call in with an issue on a machine is we try to get it back to the way that it was built and designed. And so the big thing is that when you do this maintenance, you try to get them back into the condition that they were designed to be in. And and that's critical sometimes to the success in the field and maybe even as uh, reducing the amount that the parts wear. Oh, yeah. You know, we we talk about, you know, you adjust the pickup height, you adjust the suspension on the mower, you adjust the teeth on the rake. Well, all all those machines will work if you set them too low. Yeah. And and so really you need to almost set them too high and then adjust them down. Sure. Because you you have to determine if if that's the way it's supposed to be or that's the way we want it to be. So adjusting those machines, uh, mower conditioner headers will catch dirt and be heavier than they were when they were new. Mm-hmm. No, even things like air in the tires will, sure. will make a difference. You know, it, it it's just a big benefit. And I'm going to add here that producers and dealers that perform good maintenance and keep good records of that maintenance, if they call in and are talking about warranty issues or what's going wrong with their equipment, they will fare better if they have good records. Well, and even in the long run, uh, even beyond uh, warranties, that equipment maintains its value better if it's well taken care of. So that, I mean, you're talking about resale value. We all know, John, those operators that keep their equipment really clean. Yep. Everybody wants to buy their trade-ins. Yep. You know, and so they, they do get premium premium results when they when they do a trade-in. Sure. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. With the 605N, I feel I can go to the field and we just bail. We're not stopping. We're not adjusting. It's ready to go and it goes. I spend more time bailing with less issues that I've had with other bailers in the past. I'm Ken Moses and I get more hay put upright with the 605N Vermeer Baler. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. Let's switch gears here and, and dive into some individual pieces of equipment. What are some of those high wear items you suggest getting spares of ahead of the season? So a few things here. Anything that really contacts the ground or is close to the ground or does most of the work on the machine. Yep. You need to look at those items. You know, it could be teeth, it, cam bearings, knives. Uh, blades, baler, you know, lacing pins. On balers, you know, bigger operators, it may even be wise to keep a couple spare belts. 
Sure, sure. You know, so if you do accidentally break a belt, you're not down. You just put in another belt and you're running again. And you don't strike me as somebody that spends a lot of time on Facebook, but on the on the group, one of the, my favorite things is taking those worn out pins out of the belts. Yeah. The coolest trick that I ever saw was somebody put it in the chuck on a on a drill and used that drill to spin the pin and was able to pull it out, uh, pull a really worn pin out of a baler belt. Absolutely. I I thought that was about one one of the coolest things. Uh, <laughs> Because otherwise you're taking your pliers and you're beating your head against a wall, and but just spinning it when it's real worn, when it's well past when it should have been changed, just spinning yeah, it yeah. takes it right out. That was one of the cool things that I. <laughs> that's pretty neat. I don't think that I don't think that ever made it to any of our operators and maintenance manuals, by the way. <laughs> but, but that that is a cool trick. Um, yeah, if you wait too long with some of this maintenance. Oh yeah. Just like a it's simple a Bader belt pin. Yep. will take you five times longer to fix yep. if you wait too long. Yeah, guys talking about taking a, a saw blade, a little metal saw blade, and getting in there and trying to cut the pin out. Uh, <laughs> silly silly kind of stuff that just makes a what should be an easy job hard. I've, I've done it, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want to check them. You want to replace those pins before they get bad and you can't get them out. And so, you know, it's one of the items in our postseason uh, maintenance check sheet to, you know, to check those pins and replace them. And now the other thing that maybe isn't always thought about is lubricant. You know, our self-propelled baiter has several pumps and drive motors. Uh, all our machines, mowers have several gearboxes. Mm-hmm. It is worth having a, a discussion with your dealer about lubricants, and that includes grease. That list of lubricants can be quite extensive. It can be some special oils in there. Uh, we demand uh, that you use the right oil for our, you know, our self-propelled uh, Baylor pumps. And, and what I tell producers and customers, you have to realize that if, if you're operating a machine that's, that you've now paid uh, a fair amount of money for, if you want that warranty to be... Um, honored when you have an issue, then you have to do what the the person that's providing the part, you need to do what they're telling you to do or asking you to do. And that means using the right oils. That means if you have a three-year cutter bar warranty, then after year one, you check the oil and the grease. After year two, you check the oil and the grease. Mm -hmm. And at year three, you know, if you call in right before the cutter, the warranty expires, well, do you have any maintenance records for that? And if none are, if none are known, yeah, that doesn't always that that's sometimes another discussion. Sure, sure. So yeah, it, it's it's all good stuff to be prepared. What are some of the things that get overlooked or forgotten about? If I start with round baiters and maybe anything with belts, I would say sometimes that belts get overlooked. You know, you look at them, and, oh, they look good. In a baler, I suggest that, that the belts need to be tracked one more time in its life after it's built. And what I mean by that is the belts are going to take a set. You know, we track them the best we can when it's manufactured. But after that first year of bailing and stretching and pulling and wearing, it's a good, good idea to go in there and retract the belts one more time. That's that left and right adjustment, right? 
as yes. you're, you're talking about yes. tracking. I'm thinking about yeah. how it's running across the rollers. Another thing that we get a lot of calls on is things that have a lot of moving parts. You take like our net wrap attachment, uh, our mechanical net wrap attachment has a lot of moving parts that interact with each other. And it's important to understand some of those interactions, how it works together, because some of it's even, you know, electric over hydraulic or electric over electric adjustments. Mm -hmm. We know that, you know, maybe somebody has different operators. Maybe they've pushed a button or changed something that they weren't aware they were doing or weren't sure what they should do. And now it's out of adjustment. So we, so some of those things are really important to look at. The twine tie is a little bit more straightforward, but even that, you know, just need to make sure that your settings in the monitor are what you expect them to be or, or um, you know, that they're set correctly. Yeah, it doesn't take very much to make a big difference, right? And if you're not, if you, if you don't know that something was changed, it can cause problems. So double checking that it's all, it's all set correctly at the, right at the beginning. So, you know, bale size is one of those things as the belt stretch, your bale gets bigger. Yep. And and a operator may be making too big of bales and not even know it. And, and pretty soon his belts are rubbing on the frame of the of the hinge up top and you know, we're putting pressure and the sensor's not catching it. The sensor's not catching it yet. Hmm. So some of our baiters are quite advanced. You know, we have we have tailgate speed functions that are electric over hydraulic. Auto start advance where the, the tie system starts ahead of the full bail. You know, does does the operator understand those kinds of things and what's it setting? What I just heard you say is, uh, and that would be on a net wrap, where it starts to feed the net wrap before the bail is completely finished so it shortens the, the total tie cycle because the, net, right, the right. net doesn't go straight to the bail. Am I understanding that right? Right, yeah. you you got about six seconds of net feeding that you can do before that net gets to the throat of the baler. Mm -hmm. And then, so you can bail for up to six seconds while the net wrap attachment is running. And, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but you take 300 bales times six seconds and it adds up at the end of the day. Sure, absolutely. I kind of want to do that math. Uh, <laughs> divided by 60. Oh, that's an extra half an hour in a day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you start thinking about what things that get overlooked is, um, you know, even your rake, you know, people magically think that the hay just goes in a round baler and it makes a round bale. But in a machine that has six or eight belts, let's say, yep. if I'm presenting a, a five belt wide windrow to that machine and I'm weaving back and forth, the middle two belts get double hay every time you weave. Sure. And pretty soon you've got a bale that doesn't weigh as much as it should. Maybe the twine comes off the edge or... It's a little fat in the middle. Yeah, yeah and that doesn't spread maybe quite the way it should. Uh, even rake adjustment on mowers, you know, the hydraulic suspension. Again, if you don't understand it or it's not set correctly, you're going through the field and the weight of the mower is heavier than what it should be. And pretty soon you're wearing discs out prematurely. Or you're going through blades quicker than... Skid plates or all, all those wear items that run right on the dirt. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Going back to net wraps a little bit, John, what our producers want, I think, number one, is they want the bale to look good and the net to be tight, but they want as many bales out of that roll of net that they can get. Because 
I, you know, like everything else, it's, it's gone up it's in price too. Sure. Getting that net wrap adjusted and, and, you know, challenging that tension on that net to be as tight as you can get it can, can save you money as well. And it's perfectly fine if, if an operator or producer doesn't understand how something works, get with that dealer, call us, call somebody, and we can walk you through that and explain, you know, what we're looking at there. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's really important. It's, you know, and some of these things that I've been talking about, there's no error codes on the monitors going to show up saying that, oh, your the tension on your net isn't tight enough. It, it, it's not going to say that. Sure. You know, it's not going to say, "Hey, the mower suspension is too low. You need to raise it." So that's that's are... maybe that's something we ought to have. <laughs> I, I'm a grass hay guy, and I believe uh, firmly in a four inch stubble height, and uh, that header float pressure and that uh, and that clearance matters a lot to get those. Oh yeah, to get those good agronomic practices. It's way different than when I first farmed. This equipment's getting a little more complicated. It's it's changing. You know, we got a lot of harnesses anymore and wires and plugs and pins. So mm-hmm. going back to those two R's, you know, the rodents and the rust. Um, Mice on wires. You know, it, it can happen pretty easily. Sure. What are some of those preseason maintenance items that the operator can complete from home? I would think that they could do most of the things mentioned in the operator's manual. You know, the big one is just clean that machine off daily. If it has a net wrap or twine attachment, blow that out. That goes a long ways. Open the shields, you know, open the tailgate a little bit. Look inside the machine. Clean the rollers. Blow the blow the dust and debris off the side. Those are the those customers that do that are the ones that see what they need. Well, see what needs to be done first. Mm-hmm. And so they can do it. I can tell you horror stories of how many bales, you know, people have made without even opening the door. (laughs) And, and, you know, it it could be because on our premium baiters, we use O-ring chain and they may go, well, if it's O-ring, I don't need to oil the chains. Mm -hmm. I don't even need, I don't need to open the door or do anything to them. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to run it. And that, that's not good. So when you do it, you know, when you blow your machine off, you know, examine it. You can tighten the chains, uh, remove the material from the rollers, check the teeth, check for any loose hardware. That, that's That's been a big deal the last few years. Sure. And then missing or damaged shields. Again, we want everybody to be safe. But wear items, uh, you know, I'm hoping that a producer would be able to change at home. Mm-hmm. By and large, farmers want to do the bulk of the work themselves, but what should be left to the dealership? You know, that that's a good question, John. What I see anymore is you want to contact your dealership to learn if the, your machine has service bulletins or kits or campaigns or any warranty items that that is not known by the producer. I, I really I really think that's important to make that contact with that dealer and ask about your machine, you know, is there any changes to it? Is have any campaigns come out? Uh, and you certainly want to share with them any issues that you've had. I have a horror story. I want to share <laughs> that a, a friend of mine has a tractor with the engine out of it right now. And this isn't a small tractor. And there was a campaign to add a special oil to the engine. 
because oh, there boy. was a seal that was failing, and you can already tell where this is going. And <laughs> yeah. and my friend just bought this tractor here recent, and they didn't know about the campaign, and they missed it, missed the end of the campaign by six or nine months, just as the yeah. engine went out. And they're uh, they're putting a fifty thousand dollar engine into their tractor right now oh, boy. because they yeah. missed the campaign. That's when you get down on your knees and you beg and pray and <laughs> can you can you help us with <laughs> right right but yeah you know and and again it it kind of goes by our busyness you know you know what excuses are we going to use for not doing some of the things we should but uh, and I get that I understand that completely you know some of the repairs we got that take special techniques or tools or you know, special lubrication you might want to leave to your dealer sure. so that you don't have to stock them. Now, one one thing, the self-propelled baiter with, you know, we, we want to run ISO 68 oil in the reservoir. We recommend there that, you know, you keep that oil out on the farm. If you... To keep it topped up, right? Well, yeah. If you run out of oil, you're not going to run to the dealer at midnight to get oil. You know, so we recommend to our dealers order oil for that machine and store it at the customer's place. Don't you can lose eight gallon before the sensor tells you it's low. And, and you know, you know how you want to Oh, I want to get done. And you might be tempted to add something you shouldn't do. Sure, sure. Yeah. Warranty items and service bulletins should be done by the dealer. So check with them. See if there's any. They can check with us and we can guide them as well. All right. When do you suggest operators call their dealer to get their preseason maintenance scheduled? Everyone's season is different. We know that. So we, we really recommend right after the season's over to maybe start talking about it already. Maybe you'll be the first one on the schedule instead of the last one in the spring on the schedule. Yep. But we, we do know that if, if a machine sets for a long period of time, you know, we at least want it to be cleaned and, and stored out of the weather. A lot of horror stories with with mice and oh, yeah. rats and things like that. Getting so, into electrical components. Oh, yeah, makes I, me shiver just thinking about it. Well, they they told me that they use vegetable oil on some of those rubber components. Oh, I don't know for lubrication or something, but that's what the mice are. That's why they want to eat into it. I heard, but oh, interesting. Don't know if that's true or not. Hmm. You know, the only risk you might run by doing it early is. If a manufacturer would release a bulletin middle of the winter, or, yeah, you know, and your machine was done that fall, you know, it's not fun when the dealer calls you and says, "Hey, could you please bring your machine back so we can do another yeah. bulletin?" Yes, that that's that's really the only reason I see maybe for not doing it right away. Uh, but man, our dealers get busy in the spring. Yes, so, absolutely. You know, work again, work with your dealer on that. You know, what's a good time? You know your weather, you know your season, um, and you know your dealer. So Yep. But yeah, sooner sooner than later. Now there's folks who just aren't gonna prioritize their equipment and wait till the last minute. I've I've never done that. What what advice do you have for those folks? I maybe they're used to waiting, but I, I would say <laughs> You know, again, it depends on how handy you are. You're taking a chance, especially with the labor shortage that we're in, of that machine taking longer than it used to. Mm -hmm. And that labor, I don't mean it's just the technicians at the dealerships. I mean, it's the people making the parts. Yep. It's the truck drivers delivering them. Yep. Uh, It's the people welding them. Um, You just don't know. 
so again, like I said earlier, this economic climate we're in is really demanding everybody to do things sooner, hoping that they'll get it done later. Mm-hmm. And I don't care for it myself. I'm, I like the good old days when everything was pretty predictable. What happens when a bearing sits for an extended period of time? I, I was always told that bearings get flat spots on them when they sit. You know, years ago, we would ask producers with round baiters to loosen the belts over the wintertime. I, I don't know if that was for the belt or to take load off the bearings. You have to look at bearings as they heat up when you use them, and when they cool off, they draw moisture. Ah, yep. And so when they draw moisture for that last time in the fall or the year when you're done with your season and they draw that moisture and set and the lubrication is not there, that's when that rust will pit the bearings. And then it's all over, but the tears, it's just a question of how long. We've got both on our, our machines. We've got some sealed bearings. We've got greasable bearings. Yep. Um, there is a lifetime to them. So, yep. you know, I, you, I don't know, you probably remember the little, Needle you could get on your grease gun and penetrate the seal of the bearing. <laughs> I've never you know, done that. No. I've, <laughs> people have removed the seal and packed them with grease. And, you know, it just depends <laughs> on how thorough you want to be. But I, that's where I that's where I see bearings uh, getting the pits in them is from lack of lubrication and grease. But, you know, shimming rollers is, is a pretty critical thing. In, in any manufacturer that's you know that's putting rollers in machines, yep. Uh, side load on bearings should be checked as well. So we were recommending that you know get a heat gun. You're out there with your machines in the middle of the afternoon. Do some spot checks for heat and see if see one. if that one cutter unit is hotter than the other ones. Yep. See if that one chain is running hotter than the others. It doesn't take anything fancy, just the the cheapest little infrared heat gun that you can buy. Yeah, yeah. I have one in my swather, absolutely. Yeah. Square balers that I run, the bearings are a little hard to get to, but I think a lot of these things carry over to square balers, both big and small. Shimming knotters matters a whole bunch. And then, obviously, plunger bearings, thinking about big balers and plunger tracks, all of those wear items. Those are all things we spent a lot of time talking about round balers today, but all of those things apply. Those all are doing work for us, and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't come for free, and it, they don't generally get better over time. They just get worse. So, right. again, being being prepared, knowing... Knowing your equipment is important. I sure do appreciate you coming and talking to us. I really take your advice to heart. Thanks for having me. 